You are about to listen to Defending Black Girlhood Podcast, and I'm your host, Lalita G. I'm a black mother. Look, I don't care what Mookie Mae Mae and Lakeisha oh, Mama does. I'm not Mookie Mae Mae and Lakeisha's uh, Mama. Tripping. A preacher. Give me the key of D. And Mary had a little baby, and his name was Jesus. A life coach. Look, girl, if Chump don't want no help, Chump don't get no help. Oh, and a singer. And I, and I, and I, no, I ain't a singer. Most of all, I'm an advocate for black girls everywhere they are. And I'm telling you right now, I am unapologetic as hell about my fierce advocacy for black girls to be safe in their homes, schools, and communities. Join us for courageous conversations about topics that most impact our girls and be inspired to do your part in defending black girls in your part of the world. The following episode was the first on-air conversation we had about Erica Hill's story and was a chance discovery following an unrelated interview with Annette Sale. Because we were early in our research, some of the thoughts about the topic were speculative and unconfirmed. We've since confirmed or denied much of the thoughts presented and wanted to preserve the rawness of the conversation. Some of the language may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Sister Anne, God bless you. How are you doing this blessed day? God bless you, Sister Marie. To be honest, I am really going through it right now. I could really use some prayer for my situation. Sister, you know the Lord is able. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. Amen. Let me pray with you. Lord, I ask you to bless Sister Anne. Let her know that you are able to deliver her from all her trials and tribulations. Let her know you love her. Let her know you are with her. Thank you, Sister Marie. I know I can always count on you for a prayer to lift me up when I am feeling down. Annette, thank you so much for talking to us about this really, really important story about Erica Hill. You're welcome. You know, I think it's one of the worst stories that we've heard about the vulnerability of Black girls, particularly in the Madison area. And I want to bring some attention to this story so that we make sure that we learn what we should should have learned going forward as we're looking at how do we help you know, the vulnerable black girls of our society. You know, how do we defend black girlhood? And so you were a friend of the family. You knew Marie Hill, also yes. you know, by Taylor Hill, who was 
Erica's adoptive mother. What can you tell us about her? Well, we met um, when our children were young. In fact, I used mm-hmm. to babysit the one that her, one of her daughters um, uh, committed suicide in the Dane County Jail. So uh, I knew her. I used to babysit her. Wow. And um, we lived in the same neighborhood, so we got to know each other. And she was the most godly woman I'd ever met, one of the most godly people I've ever met. I've never seen her when she didn't have a prayer for me. Um, If I was feeling down, she would take my hand. She would pray every time I saw her. I've never seen her when she wasn't in, in prayer about with the, praying for you. She always wanted to pray for you. She always talked about the Lord. Wow. I never heard her talk about anything else. Wow. And so did you know Erica as well? I didn't know Erica. Okay. I only read about, you know, what happened. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was shocked. I was, com- I still am completely shocked that it was her. I just, it's unbelievable. So what did you think when you first heard it? Do you think there must be some mistake? Oh, I, I just couldn't believe it. I'm like, this is, I knew it was true because our daughter came forth. Right. So I knew that it was true, but it was just hard for me to believe. She's so humble, kind, gentle person you ever want to meet. Wow. Wow. And I know that she also worked with kids. She did. She worked with children. So that's so complex. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't understand how she put on that prayer. Mm-hmm. She put prayer on her. She prayed for people. She was a prayer cloth, a walking prayer cloth. Wow. Wow. You know, it makes me think, well, let me ask you this. How do you unpack or reconcile this woman who was this image of this godly, prayerful woman? Always. How do you unpack that? or reconcile with her also being this murderer and abuser? It it, it led me to believe that she led two different lives. Mm -hmm. And she was hiding them very well Mm -hmm. because I know her for years. I used to babysit her children. And to this day, it's hard for me. I cannot conceive how she... This woman, this godly woman that I knew, woman that prayed for me every time I saw her, I, I, it's still, it's still hard for me to believe. I know it's true, but I, I don't know how to unpack it because I knew her so well, mm-hmm. and I knew her to be a woman of God. Wow. Now, had you seen her since she was in trial and convicted? No, I want. I'm no, but I want to go and visit her. That's been on my mind to mm-hmm. go and see her. Because there was something broken inside of her to do what she... I just can't imagine how she did what she did mm-hmm. and the impact it had on her children. Right. So, for me, it seems to be a very layered thing. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that she abused this baby very severely. You know, even after they found her in the state she was in after being burned, yes. they could still... See, I think it was over a hundred sores, scabs, bruises that were in various stages of healing that this young girl had. So there's the abuse part, there's the murder part, then there's the 
disposing of the body, just throwing it away and engaging her children in that process and having them be a part of that. That, when I read that, it just broke my heart to pieces. I I, I just only could imagine what happened to Marie. Mm -hmm. You know, where she was a godly woman every time I saw her. Praying, pray for me, but yet she was abusing children. She committed murder. Mm -hmm. That is something I think we need to talk about because I think that perhaps we could have helped Marie and mm -hmm. it could have been prevented. Wow. So now you said that her older daughter committed suicide in the local jail. Mm -hmm. Was it related to the situation at all? Well, from what I understood, she needed her medication and they didn't give it to her. And she wow. ended up committing suicide. Wow. And yeah. was her arrest anything to do with this situation or just was a non-related? Oh, this was not. I think it was non-related. But okay. I don't know, you know, I, you know, what her thoughts were when she didn't have, you know, maybe some. I was thinking her thoughts were probably taken over that were too powerful. Right. Especially if it related to what her mother had done. Right. I mean, I can't even imagine having her old, her daughter hold this in for all those years. And she right. had to get it out. Right. I felt like she had to. Right. And when we don't get things out, they explode within. Yes. You know, they explode within. There's just so many layers of tragedy. But now she wasn't the one who actually turned her mother in. Was it one of the younger daughters who turned her mother in? I think it was. The, I think... Um, T.T. was one of the younger ones. I think this was one of the older daughters that turned, because she was 16 when it happened, and she was 25 when she turned her in. Okay. So the thought that she knows that, you know, when she opens her mouth, her mother's right. going to go to prison. Right. Right. And, you know, we're hoping to speak to her. My understanding is her reasoning to come forth was that she wanted to create some healing in her family. Oh, and wanted to a, break some of the chains. That's a blessing. I know. I mean, the courage that she would have to have in that moment. Mm. But I think just like with you, I've reached out to some girls that went to school with the older sister mm -hmm. to Erica and was asking them about the situation. And what I got back was, you know, when this came out, and finding out that she was a part of this, yes. I just stopped messing with her. You know, I just stood back yes. and stopped messing with her. So, you know, we even know that even in doing the right thing and coming forth, sometimes you still get punished and, and have to feel the brunt of that. Yes. And that was her mother. I imagine that was really hard. Right. But also even harder to keep silent what had oh, happened. Yes. So do you have any sense of how this impacted the family when the daughter came out, were you still kind of close to them at the time? I hadn't seen them. I hadn't seen Marie for a while. Um, so when it came out, I haven't seen them since the children. Um, my, I really want to go and see and visit Marie. Mm -hmm. um, even after all of this, mm -hmm. she needs prayer. She needs to heal. Mm -hmm. And she needs to be forgiven for what mm -hmm. she's done. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like there had for this to happen, something had to be wrong with Marie. There was no way she could do this in her right mind. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I mean, I guess, do you think every time somebody does something horrific is outside of themselves? Or do you think, think this so. is the truth of who she was? Because she went in. She did. You know, because something happened. And at that moment, she could have said, in a fit of rage, something, something happened. This happened and called police. I mean, she yes. went in like she was a pro. The, yes. Cutting up the body, burning it, disposing it, taking it to Chicago, thinking somebody going to find it, moving it from Chicago, driving right. to Gary, Indiana. I, I mean, those are multiple levels of just horrific yes. decisions and thoughts in them. You know, it sounds monstrous. And, and, not, and not being able to embrace herself in prayer at the time that she's feeling like this. Mm-hmm. I always thought she was, like I say, one of the most godly women I've ever met. So, you know, we talk about like when, when perpetrators abuse, mm-hmm. that they don't just groom that child they groom people around them so in her case she was a perpetrator of physical abuse against this baby before the murder yes was she grooming everybody with her godliness was that her way to cover up the fact that she was beating the hell out of this baby even before she killed her i before she came years and years and years before erica came you know she was this way um so I would say that it impacted everybody around that mm-hmm. was around. She was abusing her own children. Mm-hmm. And did you know that at the time? No, no. I ne- I always thought she was kind and mm-hmm. wonderful and loving and praying over them like she does everyone else. Well, she was praying over them with an E yes. and not an oh. A. And, and they say what you do in the dark will come to the light. Wow. Thank God it was brought to the light. Wow. Wow. So what do you think the conversation would be like with her when you go visit her? Since I haven't seen her for a while and since all of this has happened, I can, I, I think I will be visiting a different person. Mm-hmm. Not the same. Um, but I do want to see her because I feel like she's, I don't know who's visiting her. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was I was close to Marie and it's still outside of me how how she could possibly do that. Um I think I I just think the whole the healing has started when her mm-hmm. daughter opened her mouth. Wow. You know, because part of the, the the question that I keep asking is like, who killed Erica Hill? Mm-hmm. Like, where were all the places and the spaces that should have seen right. what was going on with this child? You know, that should have seen the bruises in school and she had a social worker involved and oh. all of these different things. And then when she disappeared, it's like nobody continued to look for her. Like, how does a 15-year-old disappear from a school? How does a 15-year-old disappear from a family. That's right. From a whole family. Where she lived. And nobody in the whole family is suspicious. What about law enforcement? Yeah. Did they do their job? Right. 
Right. Yeah. But but this but this the family. Like how does a whole kid disappear from a family? Because I think all those things, social work, school, law enforcement mm-hmm. are definitely accountable. But a whole child disappears from a family that's 15 years old. Nobody ever sees her again. No more Thanksgiving, no more Christmas, nothing. How does that happen within the context of a family? Because as we're looking at missing and exploited black girls and the community not caring, we have to bring that accountability back to the family on what's going on. And And I believe what my thoughts are on it is that she had full control over those children, and they mm-hmm. were afraid. Right. I mean, she had already killed somebody, so right. they were afraid. So beyond the kids, I just mean other aunts, uncles, okay. Mookie and Nene and them. Like, didn't nobody ever notice that the girl didn't come to a family reunion? She was never around on Christmas. Nobody knew where this 15-year-old girl was. One thing about Maria, she was private. She was pretty private. Mm-hmm. Um, Although, you know, she was involved in... Um, I went to a one of the um, the churches. I went to I forgot the name of that church she went to. Pastor Johnson, I think it was Pentecostal church. Oh sure. And um, she they were talking about how she would drive and pick up other people and bring them to church. You know, out of town. And I mean, they really talked about you know her how she gave of herself. Wow. And and how she would go out of her way to help other people. That really sounds like intentionality of creating an I, an ideal about who she is and creating an identity that would allow her to have the cloak of deception within her home. No one was living. They weren't living. Mm-hmm. They were just existing and doing what she said do because they were, I believe they were afraid of her. Well, certainly, I think they were afraid just because of the abuse that was going mm-hmm. on. And then certainly you have all control now that we see how far you can go, yes. that you can actually kill one of us. I can only but imagine how frightening that was for those kids after that and how horrific it was and the demons that followed them. They were real. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to add? What I like to say is that, like you, I like to piggyback off of what you said. We need to start paying attention. Mm-hmm. If we see bruises yeah. reported, although I'm not, well, you can report things, but sometimes nothing happens. Right. It's just a matter that you're reporting, and we need to do something about it. Yes. And Absolutely. I don't understand how she came up missing and they didn't pull that. You know what happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how powerful and how strong it was. Right. Even in the face of law enforcement, they right. didn't, they didn't. Right. They didn't even see it. My understanding is that when she killed her, she told Madison people that she moved back to Indiana with other family members. Mm. But why didn't there was an open investigation, as I understand it? So why didn't social services? follow up where are you are you okay are you in a good mm-hmm. place like how did the fact that she moved make them lose their interest in making sure that this child was okay and then again i'm saying if you have family members someplace else mm-hmm. 
I'm just really curious oh, to know. If she's telling them that the child has moved back somewhere else. Right. But then when you never see her as a family, yes. the extended family, mm-hmm. when you never see a 15 year old, it'd be different if she was 35. Yes. But when you never see a 15 year old who was like, what, a freshman at this time? Mm-hmm. How do you never see her? Never. She never calls. You don't see her on social media. Like she was missing, I think, like seven years. And did they, as I, I can't recollect, did they say where she was murdered? Like, was she murdered? She was murdered in Madison. In, in, but in the house? In the, presumably in the house. You know, don't want to get so gruesome, but my understanding is that when she called her children home, mm-hmm. the body was in the, house. the tub. Yes. Yeah. And threatening them. You won't have to say nothing. You don't even need to make a threat. That's right. I was threatening the moment I saw that baby dead. Yes. You know, and just the progression of that abuse from being probably verbal, physical, you know, to the ultimate of murder. And and also by Marie being locked up, that keeps another child safe because if she's gone that far, right, she could possibly do that again right and i'm hoping that she's being healed by the lord because there isn't anything that we can't do can do that god can't forgive us for Mm -hmm. and i'm hoping that she will take the uh response she will take responsibility for what she did right i hope so too and i hope that you know her her remaining children i hope they're healing and i hope that they're getting the love and support that they need you know and that folks are standing in the gap for them because they really was carrying the burden of something that was so wrong, it should never have been put upon them. And as long as I had been knowing her, I the only person I met in her family was her brother. Mm. I didn't meet anybody else. Okay. Wow. Wow. Well, I really thank you for sharing. I think it helps to shed some light on this kind of other identity that yes. she had. Yes, she had another identity. I... When I think about it, I didn't, I didn't know her. I thought I did. Wow. And to be that close to somebody, you know, I was, me and Marie were close. Wow. I, to this day, I, it just baffles my, my mind that she could, could, could do something like that. Right. And so it makes me, you know, I'm not like that with other people, like, when you know, like, oh my right. God. Now you kind of look at everybody sideways. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, because she was nice. Very wow. nice. Wow. Um, I just think we got to be careful, too, of, and look deeper into we think we know somebody, but right. we really don't. Right. Man. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate your insight. Thank you for it's, having me. It's been great having you in the studio today. I appreciate mm, you I being you. here. I love you, too. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yes. Oh my God, that's so deep because I hadn't heard, I hadn't met anybody yet. She told me that they knew her. Mm-hmm. I knew Marie. Oh my God. So that makes she 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 wasn't saved when I first met her, and then she got saved, and she was holding on. She wasn't saved after she got saved. Right. Hey, <laughs> how you got saved, but then you pray for everybody, but then you go and come. How is that possible? You ain't say. That's right. 
you can't be saved and beat the hell out of kids. You can't be saved and kill a child. You just ain't saved. No, you can't be saved. That's that's what you don't want to do. That's what salvation stops you from doing things like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Smoking and, you know, sexing and over drinking and drugging and murder. Yeah. If Jesus ain't saved you from murder, that's you right. ain't saved. And, you know, oh, she, she, um, she was, she was in that word. But the word was not in, in her. her. No, it wasn't. And that, that, it, it's like, so all this time she was fooling everybody. Because mm-hmm. she had stopped the drinking and smoking and all of that. And she, I'm saved. And she went to church, prayed, saved. So we got to, whew. Wow. And when I saw that, <clears throat> I just I just couldn't believe it. I just I, I mean yeah, what And it's a good thing that I don't look at other people suspicious because she right. was so someone that I thought I knew. Yeah. She's a woman. I mean, we didn't have a relationship or anything like that. She was a friend of mine. And she was just nice to everybody. Not everybody. Right. She has them children. She has, I mean, whoo. My God, my God, Lord! She was at that church, that Pentecostal church, Pastor Johnson. Oh yeah, we got over at Buckeye. That's where she was for many years. I want to see if I can get his wife on. Mm -hmm. Because I was thinking about him, but I think I want to get his wife just to keep women, Mm -hmm. in particular, try to get as many black women talking about this, Mm -hmm. and and us doing our own work about how we need to be defending black girlhood and being on point. Yeah, we were talking about how, and I think this is what's missing in this society. Like in Africa and other countries, they have a where they come into womanhood, and they come into manhood, and they have these things that they do. They teach them, and they take them places, and they basically teach them how to be a man, how to be a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's important, and we don't have that here. Um, a lot of times, I think... We think they got it. Right. They're supposed to just catch it. Mm-hmm. They yeah. got it. She's got it. She know what she's doing mm-hmm. when she doesn't. Right. And even um, even with a situation like when I was molested and when I told my uncle about it when I was an adult. See, all those years that went by, I didn't say anything. I was 13 when it happened. But when I told my uncle about it, he remained friends with this man that raped me when I was 13. So he didn't break off friendship with him. And that bothered me. I know that it did. And, you know, and that happens way too often because we talk about sometimes the mothers who don't protect, but there are other people who don't protect either. You know, when I came out about my stepfather sexually mm-hmm. abusing me mm-hmm. i have family members that said well he's always been a role model to me he's always you know i don't have any problem with him you know so they didn't feel like they needed to adjust their relationship with him and i'm just thinking mm. like what really right and they had kids and they had kids and were willing 
to prove how safe this person was, their need to, and this is just not this person, but so many people, Mm -hmm. their need to clean up who this person was will cause you to put your own children in harm's way because you got to prove the fact that this is who you thought they was and not the person that I'm saying that they were. Yes. Yes. And and the children aren't safe if if he's around. No, absolutely not. Absolutely they're not safe. And there's no reason to believe that they're safe. And, you know, for me, I just don't get it, you know, because to me, my bottom line, there's a lot of things you can move on through, work through as Mm -hmm. a friendship, Mm -hmm. work through as a relationship. Yes. But if you fucking kids, I'm done with you. Yes. That's going to be my bottom line. I'm Mm -hmm. through. Mm -hmm. There's nothing. I don't want anything from you. I don't want to be around you. I don't want whatever is on you jumping on me. I don't want you Mm -hmm. around kids that I know. You know, I'm done. And if we more so as a society would begin to put up barriers and blockades around these men Mm -hmm. who are coming into our families, coming into our home and violating our children, we would have more safe homes. Yes. Now, my mother, she would ask me, was my stepfather touching me anywhere? You know, on my vagina? Is he, you know, touching my breasts? And I was afraid when she told me that. I got scared. Mm. She, I didn't tell her that I was scared, but I was like, <gasps> and mm-hmm. I believed that even if he had, which he didn't, I would have been too afraid to tell her because when she told me that I I just froze up and I was scared how old were you at the time like 11 and then you know I I reflect back when we start having these conversations about sexual trauma particularly with black women Mm -hmm. that there's a lot of things that our mothers have done and said and say to us because of their own sexual trauma they don't tell us yes their stories but their stories live out and you can't spend a night over nobody's house. Mm-hmm. Don't be asking nobody for money. Like one of the worst spakers I got as a little girl was because I was crazy about money. <laughs> I was crazy about money. I used to wash my money. I would iron my money, you know, and my mother later told me she spanked me because she didn't want men to be able to use money against me, mm-hmm. you know, but then, lo and behold, <laughs> lo and behold, though, she still didn't do nothing when she found out that her own husband was. You know, that when I found out your story, it was another one of those, you know, just hit me right in my heart. Like, mm-hmm. oh, my God. Mm-hmm. And he's still walking around? Oh, yeah. Last time I saw him, he was at a basketball game. I guess that was his wife or girlfriend, and the granddaughter was there. She was a little girl. She was with them. Well, you know, when he and my mother finally broke up, you know, I was over 25 at the time, Hmm. you know, and I revealed my abuse when I was about 11. So when they finally kind of broke up, he did start going with this other woman who had a daughter. And she was one of the first people to try to say I was lying. About my story. Okay. Call me a lying bitch if you want to. And I was called a lying bitch by his sisters and all of them. Oh, yeah. And um, do that if you want to. And including his other stepdaughter. Do that if you want to. I can be a lying bitch, but don't be a dumb bitch. And put your kids 
yes. in the space with this man that I said abused me alone. And who who talks about that if it's not real? Who wants somebody right. to know that about them? Exactly. That is not something you want to talk about. Exactly. And you know, and it, when you do, it's real. Exactly. Because one day what had happened was his um his niece and we're cross-related. So she's related to me by blood, she's related to him by blood. And she had told me that they, when my book came out, there had been this big family meeting mm-hmm. and they were talking about suing me and whatnot. Oh my God. Sue really? Me. Sue me, motherfucker. I want to see you in court. Sue me. So they were talking about suing me and everything. And then the aunt was talking about I was a lying bitch. Well, my cousin came and told me because she knew I wasn't lying. Mm-hmm. And she came and told me. So I saw his sister one time at Juneteenth and she smiled up on my face. Hey, Lil, how you doing? I was like, don't you want to ask me a question? Oh, what? I hate when people come smiling in my face and I know you stabbing yes, me back. Yes. Because there ain't nothing I need from you. I don't want y'all to right. you. So, um, oh, yeah, well, I did want to ask you about that because I can't believe it because George always treated you like he was, y'all was his kids and blah, 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 blah. And I said, you're right. We never wanted for anything. We had a comfortable life. So keeping that in mind, why would I lie on that person? What would be my motivation on lying on a person who did was quote unquote from the outside good. And he's one of the people too. He's one of those people who, you know, have groomed other folks because he's a person who's going to give you his last $5. Your car Uh, broke down. He going to fix your tire. He going to be nice. Ha ha ha. You know, this smiling all the time. He's a fucking pedophile. And I know I can't be his only victim. Right. I know I can't. You know you're not. You know, statistically, they tell us about this. So, you know, so this is a, a, a deeper conversation, you know, because I know our family lines cross. And, you know. Yes. I named a few people up in the book. You did. You were so courageous. I named a few people up in the book. And, you know, um. You know, sometimes so, you just got to stir shit up. So what happened when I bought your book and you signed it, right? Yeah. So I carried it with me because I was reading it. Yeah. So I was attending Madison College at the time, and the instructor asked me if I was willing to speak to a young woman who her cousin had, he was um, raping her. Oh. And I don't know why she picked me out, but I said, sure, I- I'll talk to her. Yeah. So it was a young black girl. She came and... We talked, and she told me what happened, and I told her about this book that I was reading, which is your book. I can't live like this anymore. Yes. And I said, I'll let you use it, but you have to promise me you're going to give it back. I said, I think this will be good for you, and it's a resource in there for you. And she said, okay, but she didn't give it back. So I saw her at another event, and I said, where's my book? Okay. And she said, oh, it's I moved, and it's packed in my mom's whatever, but I never... Got another one, so I'll have to get another one. Yes, I need to get you it was a book. signed by you, so yes. that was special to me. Yes, I will get you another one, and I will sign. I was it for you. the little that I read. I was, uh, you know, I was feeling for you, and I feel like even now, the pet will be able to go and do time for the crime because that was a crime. I agree. I agree. It should be like murder because you kill somebody's soul. That's right. Yes. So I'm going to have you back 
Yeah, I'd love to come back. Yeah, we could talk about this more and mm-hmm. explore this. I appreciate you sharing. Yes. All right, we done for real, for real, before yes. they kick us out of here. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. As my grandmother would say, mm-mm-mm. That was a good conversation. And listen, we're not playing. We mean this thing. We mean to defend black girlhood by taking on the tough conversations that need to be had in order to do so. And we would love for you to get more connected with our work and our mission by visiting laleda.org to explore the dynamic work we're doing to defend black girls everywhere they are and while you're there we invite you to join our mailing list so you will not miss one single fearless conversation